Father, even as we have sung, it's not by our works. It is but it is because of what you have done for us. When we were yet sinners, when we were without God, when we were without strength, and when we were your enemies, you died for us. When we had no interest whatsoever in you, you found us and you chose us to be your people. And never, we never, ever, ever want to take that for granted. And this evening, O oh Lord, even as we meditate upon your word, Lord, that you would remind us as to what it is to be your people. As, as to what it is to be your servants. That you would, Lord, re- bring to remembrance, O oh Lord, all that we have heard and taught and learned and that has been taught all those years, O oh Lord. I pray, Father, that you would reinforce them. Father, that you would strengthen the convictions in our heart which are based upon your truth. And Lord, that you would shape our convictions and our character by the, by your, by the water of your word. And you would cleanse us, replace the lies in our heart by your truth. Sanctify us and separate us the way you only can do. So that Lord, that we can be your people. Showing forth your works in this dark world. Father, even as we meditate upon your word, I pray, Father, that you would anoint our ears. That we may hear what the Spirit of the Lord has to say to each one of us in this last hour of time. And even as I speak, that you would animate me and you would empower me and you would anoint me. Father, cleanse me and forgive me for all the sin that I have committed against you. That Lord, that you would cleanse me and use me as your vessel. So that your people and all of us could be edified and strengthened. That we could be revived. And that Lord, we could go back home, oh Father, exhorted and encouraged to be your people in this dark world. Thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name. Amen. We'll be continuing on what we've been learning in our, uh, in our studies, uh, in our church. It's titled this message, Let Not Sin Reign. Let Not Sin Reign. And we will Come to that in a few minutes as to how, what what we're going to discuss and what is the passage for our meditation this evening. Last Sunday, if you were here, we've been studying about three categories of believers. Uh, Just to refresh as to what we've been learning through three categories of believers. The first category, of course, we talked about uh, the mixed multitude, a people with a divided heart and primarily focused on Egypt which is essentially the world. We looked at those, the connotations as to what that meant and uh, uh, to us. And then also we talked about the second category of people, the children of Israel, with a single heart but focused on self. Single-minded, focused on self. Then of course we also talked about a third category of people represented by Moses who had what we call as a surrendered heart which is completely focused on God. Right from the beginning, we had three categories of people. Even in the church, we always have the mixed multitude who get converted because they want to get the benefits of the kingdom without surrendering their heart to the king of the kingdom. They are in the kingdom, but their heart is in the world. Then of course, there's the children of Israel who had, they were in the kingdom, but they were always looking as to how the kingdom benefits them. The focus on self. And then of course we had Moses absolutely surrendered to God. His complete objective is your name, Lord. Your name, which is at stake. Your name among the Gentiles. Your name. What will you, what will people think, Lord, about your name? Every time he used to intercede for his people, he used to say, Lord, if you do that, what will people say? Your name is at stake. Your name is at stake. It was not about him. It was absolutely focused on God. And that's uh, primarily, I believe, what God is bringing us to. And he's, he's, he's using all kinds of ways and teaching us patterns so that we will be a people of a surrendered heart. And, of course, surrender is something which is incremental. It's not one day. 
it happens progressively and i hope we'll uh, we will be uh, our focus and our inclination is toward that we also learned last wednesday about um, one person uh, cain and this is genesis chapter 4 verse 6 to 7 this is essentially uh, cain uh, why am i using this is because primarily if you look at uh, the ch- the children of israel you'd see 600000 people have come out of egypt 600000 men it says not people 600000 men that's how um, you know uh, jewish people count their families it's about men and their families 5000 men represent 5000 families that's what that's what uh, jesus um, you know fed 5000 men representing 5000 families so obviously there were more than 5000 men so 600000 men who came out of egypt and out of 600000 men only 3 out of those 600000 entered into the promised land oh, well of course moses lost it but of course he entered the promised land in glory when he was when he met jesus on the mount of transfiguration he was there in the promised land so three people made it and it says scripture was says it says that god was not pleased with most of them because they came out of egypt but one thing they were always slaves to they were slaves to sin they were they were forgiven of their sins that they were that they have committed in the past but they did not overcome the power of sin that kept them in the past that is something which we have to learn no and right from the beginning if you see right from the beginning what was god's um will if you will god's perfect will for man particularly after the fall what was god's will for man is found in genesis chapter 4 verse 6 and 7 and we look at that in two translations why are you angry this is uh, god asking cain why has your face fallen if you do well will you not be accepted and if you do not do well of course what do you mean by doing well it's not that you you get accepted because of your works it is because of your attitude all right and if you do not do well everybody read that sinus crouching at the door i mean it's as if i mean if you've seen national geographic how do lions hunt they crouch slowly deceive and then they zero in on that particular um prey which has strayed away from the from the herd and slowly zero in on it and pounce without any warning that is attitude of sin by the way sin is deceptive it crouches every time every morning it is crouching at your door and god's will for man right from the beginning is sin is crouching at the door its desire or his desire of course that's what kjv will use the translation his desire is for you that means he wants to master you but my will for your life is that you would rule over sin you see that is god's will that is god's will in everyone's life that we rule over sin right from the beginning it was god's will not not in the just in the in the new covenant it is god's will right from the beginning even before the covenant was given that we should rule over sin sin is crouching at the door but we should master it or rule over it and of course last time we also looked at this that this is his desire the sin has a force and that force is essentially the, a person animated it's essentially the outworking of a person that is satan himself how do i know this how do i know that satan himself is the one who's who's is that you see this this thing about crouching right uh, this metaphor is used for the devil in first peter chapter 4 and peter will say that he will say uh, what does he say be sober be vigilant because your adversary the devil is watching over you so that he can devour you so that that metaphor is used 
for the devil. Okay, we looked at that in several contexts. In 1 John chapter 3 verse 12, you'll see what, uh, who Cain belongs to. Look at what he says. 1 John chapter 3 verse 12. We should not be like Cain who was of the evil one. You see that? And murdered his brother. And why did he murder his brother? His deeds were evil. Brothers were righteous. That's why he murdered. So we need to understand that God's will for our lives is that we overcome sin. And how do we overcome sin is how is it connected? See, that's the reason why you see that. Most of the people, God was not happy with them. 600,000 people came out, but most of them, in fact, with 500,999, God was not pleased. They all died. Their carcasses fell on the wilderness. And therefore, Jude uses the same metaphor. He says, with many, God was not pleased. First Corinthians chapter 10, Paul says, God was not pleased with them. They did not enter. Jude will say, God destroyed them after bringing them out of Egypt. So they experience the grace of God, but they experience the grace of God in vain. Is it possible that we would experience the grace of God in vain? Yes, absolutely. Paul will tell the Corinthian church that we should not experience, that we should not receive the grace of God in vain. So today I want to look at one passage. I've been studying the book of Romans for quite some time and been teaching it. And I believe it gives us a a framework as to how we overcome sin particularly. The, the 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 passage for today's meditation, I just looked for, I mean, I took it from Romans chapter 6 and verses 12 to 14 is what I'm looking at. Let's read this uh, slowly together. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not pre- present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as to, as those who have been brought from life to death or been resurrected from the dead, if you will, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Why? For sin will have no dominion. That's what it says. Sin wants to desire to have you, but you should master it. And he's giving us a promise. This is Romans chapter 6 verse 14. For sin will not have dominion will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Look at that, everybody. I want to look at, this is of course um, uh, from John Piper's exposition of the book of Romans. John Piper, by the way, has 225 messages on the book of Romans. 225. It's about... If, if, if I were to study about 20 hours a day on the book of Romans, it would take me at least 10 days or to 10 to 15 days to just to understand those 225 sermons. Remarkable. I was starting to study it. I just couldn't stop it. And therefore, I was, it, it, was, it was tying with all that we have been learning in our church. Remarkable exposition. 225 sermons on the book of Romans. So you can imagine how many, he, how many years he preached from the, from the book of Romans. In his search, you will get the whole counsel of God. Why? Why do we give you the whole counsel of God? That day, none of your blood is on my hands. Our hands, who are teachers. That is the reason why we give you the whole counsel of God. We teach you the good, the bad, and the ugly of God. And more importantly, we teach you the ugly of God. Why? Know the goodness of God and the severity of God. Second Corinthians chapter 5. Sorry, uh, Romans chapter 11. Second Corinthians chapter 5. Knowing the terror of God, we persuade men. Why? Because we all have to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And therefore, what we are doing right now is preparing ourselves for that day. And the only way we can prepare ourselves is by meditating upon the word. No other way. The whole counsel of God. Just not the good the goodness, of course, of God really leads us to repentance. But what keeps us on that path of repentance is the severity of God, the judgment of God, the holiness of God, the righteousness of God, the truth of God. 
Law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So if you want to really stay on that narrow path and experience the victory that comes through faith, be overcomers on the other side. We need to not understand everything about God. And I was uh, looking at this Romans uh, chapter 6, just these three verses. I'm going to unpack what I learned from that study and I'm going to interpolate it with scripture. So when we interpolate with scripture, we get a rich tapestry so that we can all experience God. The lies in our heart will be replaced by the truth. And that is what I hope we'll do. So let's look at eight things here. Alright? Eight things. First, I want to look at is the word. Everybody read that. Rain. What is that? Rain. What does rain imply? Rain implies a Throne, a throne being contested for. What is being contested for? A throne. That means there is a king and there is a kingdom. We are not a democracy. <laughs> we are a kingdom. For people who are living on the latter part of the 21st century, we've been spoiled by democracy. There is a king and a kingdom. That's what it implies. Question therefore that is implied in this implicit is under whose government are you? Always. That's a second, that's a question. That is this, this implies. Also that the gospel that we preach is not a gospel of God only, which is of course is a gospel of God. It is not just the gospel of Christ only. It is also the gospel of Christ, but primarily it is what? Everybody read this. Gospel of the kingdom of God. And therefore the word that has been preached to us. What is it? What is it? Gospel according to Matthew chapter 13. Everybody knows the parable of the sower. This is what explicitly Matthew alone mentions this. It is not mentioned in any of the synoptic gospels where the parable of the sower is mentioned. Except in the gospel according to Matthew. You know why? Because Matthew is introducing Jesus as a lion of the tribe of Judah who is going to come and reign from Jerusalem. Alright? So what is he saying? In gospel according to Matthew chapter 13 verses 18 and 19, this is what he says. Hear then the parable of the sower when anyone hears the what? Everybody read that. The word of the kingdom. So the word of God is essentially called the word of the kingdom and does not understand it. And therefore he gives us several categories of people who respond to the word of God differently. What does that mean? The word of God, he is not partial, is falling on various kinds of heart even today. Okay. It's falling. And only God knows and you know to what level he's reigning. So, so there is a throne being contested for. Did you get that? Everybody? Then, the second word which I want to, which is not in chronological order, the first word is rain. Read the, read the first word. Rain. Don't fall asleep. Read the word. Rain. I know this. All of you are coming from work. Let me just pray for you. Father, I pray, Father, that you, I rebuke that spirit of tiredness and distraction in the name of Jesus that all of us will have a clear mind and a concentrated mind that will focus on your word in Jesus' name. So the first word is rain. Everybody say rain. The second word that you want to contest, uh, uh, want to, want to, uh, uh, focus on rain implies a throne is being contested for. So who is the contender? Is a question. Who's that? Sin. You got that? Why did I say sin? Sin is not an it. His desire is for you and you shall rule over him. It's a person, you see. Therefore, the first person at reign is a throne being contested for and second is there is a contender and a challenger and he is what? Sin. Even in your own heart today, there's a challenger. By the way, the book of Romans is written to Gentiles or, or Christians. What's that? Christians or, or, or non-believers? Everybody, let me see. 
let me test your gyan <laughs> christians it is to the church of god in rome it's incredible that for five chapters Paul is going to talk about saying that you've been justified freely by his grace, justified freely by his grace, justified from sin. And then he comes and introduces himself in this chapter number six and he says, does it mean that we should continue to sin? That grace may abound? Oh, do not even think about it. He's logically giving us as to what There is a contention that is going on in our heart. There is a throne and there is a contender to the throne and that contender is sin which is not sinning. It is not sins. No, It it, it is not S-I-N-S. It is what? Sin. What does it mean? Sin which is essentially a personification of a person who is Satan himself. That is the reason why it says in Second Second Thessalonians that in the last days, one fellow is going to come and sit in the temple and he will call himself as what? God. And how is he going to come into the temple except he come first into the hearts of people? Sin is contending. The question therefore here today is, in your heart, what is sin? Look at what he says in John's Gospel, chapter 8, verses 31 to 36. This has become my favorite passage. Over and over again, I've been looking at this. So Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, and I'm sure all of you believe, and therefore you came. If you abide in my word, see, because the word of God is the word of the kingdom, right? You are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are (laughs) Abraham's offspring, and we have been never enslaved to anyone. How is that you say that you will become free? Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say unto you, he who practices sin, he is a slave to sin. Who practices sin is a slave to sin. Means sin is your master, is already a person there, employed. The slave does not remain in the house forever, the son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. The question today is, are you a slave to sin? Scripture simply says, if you are having a practice of sin, it implies that you are a slave to sin. Doesn't matter if you are a believer or non-believer. Doesn't matter. And particularly for a believer, the definition of sin varies. And if you read the entire epistles, all the epistles are written to the unbelievers or to the Christians. To the Christians. So he says in the book of James, he says, sorry, 1 John chapter 2, he says, transgression is sin. That means... Do not do this, and if you do this, what is it? Sin. James chapter 4 verse 27 or 17 says, You know what is right to do, and you do not do it, then it is sin. Okay. You know what is right to do, and you do not do it, it is sin. Romans chapter 14, anything which is not of from faith, which is not of faith, even if it is a simple act called eating, is also Sin. For a believer, the sin definition is completely different from what it is in the world. So there's a contender. There is a contender in your heart. First, rain implies sin. So rain implies there's a, there's a throne. Sin implies there's a contender for that throne. And the third thing, mortal body. Oh, there is a castle and a, or a temple which is being contended for. The throne is there, but where is the throne? The throne is in a, in a palace or is in a castle. And who's a castle? Who's a castle? Everybody read that? Mortal body. So look at what, look at this. First, rain implies a throne being contested for. Sin is a contender for the throne and that throne is in a castle or a temple which is a body. Let's read the first three. Rain, a throne being contested for. Sin, a contender or a competitor. Temple or a castle, your mortal body. Do you know that? That your body is a temple or a castle? 
That is the reason why he says in the new covenant, you are what kind of a priesthood? Royal priesthood. That means you are a temple of God and you are also the throne of God. We are all temples, isn't it? First Corinthians chapter 6 verse 19. Don't you know that your body is what? Is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you. Did you understand that? That you are a, that your, you yourself is a temple of God? Whom you have from God, you are not your own. Second Corinthians chapter 6 verse 14 to 19, 14 to 16. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion, portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the Temple of God with idols, for we are the temple of the living God, as God said. You see that? Sorry. So you have three things. First, sin. First, reign, of course. Reign implies a throne. Sin implies a contender. And there is a castle, which is your mortal body. And the next thing, Read everybody. Passions or desires. So let's let's recap. Four things. Passions or desires. Passion, desire is neutral. They can be your servants or they can be your master. They are neutral. The same way passion is used in all positive, in a positive connotation and a negative connotation in the new covenant. The passions and the desires God has given you are absolutely neutral. The desire for food, the desire for sex, desire for rest, the desire for recreation, for everything that God has given you is neutral. They are not sin. So God, look at, I didn't say that. Paul says it in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the same thing, verses 12 to 13. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for the food, and God will destroy both. Everybody got it, no? Food for the stomach, stomach for the food, God will destroy both. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. So if your body is for the Lord, then the Lord is for your body. Every passion that God has given you is neutral. Who owns and who controls that passion? Is it sin or it's somebody else? Why is this very important, especially for believers and especially for people who are in the ministry or who are in leadership and eldership positions? And I believe that most of you will be called into those positions, I'm sure. Because I believe for for us, we as a church are meant to teach and preach and mentor people for eldership positions. Not If not here, anywhere else where God will lead you. Another place it's mentioned. The passions and the desires, same same way uh, Paul is talking about in First uh, Corinthians chapter ten, verses twenty three to twenty six. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are not are lawful, but not all things are built up or rather edified. And you know what he says? Let no one seek his own, but the good of his neighbor. That means even your passions and your desires, even if it is as simple as your desire under your requirement for entertainment or recreation, it has to be so that you edify an another person and not to become a stumbling block to another person. Did you get that, everybody? Even your recreation... I'm telling you honestly, I mean, I mentioned this in yesterday's Bible study, but I'll repeat it. Just on Monday, we as a family just went for... Uh, an amusement park in Hyderabad, which opened recently. Anybody knows? Wonderla. Okay. It's called Wonderla and it is called an amusement park. Muse is to think. A muse is not to think or don't think. Okay. So if, in other words, we went to a don't think park, alright, as for recreation. So, family and I were just walking, we were strolling inside, having a blast. Children were having a blast, especially. And then, um, 
uh, after the lunch we went into the pool and then you know oh, having fun and i was swimming and suddenly i hit somebody in the pool okay i hit somebody in the pool and i just got up and i said sorry and he turned to me and he said please lord pastor <laughs> i looked at him for a minute stunned and he said pastor remember centenary baptist church barangal i said yeah 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 baba i can't ex- escape you can i just imagine no because when the waves just before the waves started they were playing all kinds of music and he would have been dancing and he would have said pastor you see all things are beneficial but not all things are lawful because i i don't just have to think of myself i need to think about another brother as well in the church you see you can't escape it's funny but i said god was teaching me a lesson which he says vijay every act of yours is going to be under the microscope now secret and not secret and nobody is watching when you think that nobody is watching <laughs> you see i was stunned i mean i was like warned i came back home and i said baba thank god i was not in imax and somebody from the church found me there See, that's the, that's the reason why he says new believers, particularly because those recreations may not be affecting your spirit, but it might empower somebody else to sin. It might become a stumbling block to somebody. You see, and therefore God says you have a throne being contended for. Sin is the contender. There is a castle in which the throne is there, and that is your mortal body. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, and there are passions which are God-given. which are essentially servants and that servant is a servant to the person who he obeys and therefore the next word is what obey very 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 difficult word this is recap reign implies a throne sin implies a contender a body implies a temple or a castle passions and desires are servants and those servants can be manipulated and bribed did you know that somebody was giving this illustration of our golconda fort golconda fort has got a huge um, you know staircase right and then those days if they had to warn the it, it was it's a fortress it was impregnable absolutely impregnable fortress okay and then if if the the sentry used to see the an enemy approaching the way he used to warn the king was to do what clap and the the, uh, the the acoustics were so well designed that nobody could reach the sentry would warn and in no time the army could be summoned for battle you got it the servant is absolutely loyal to his master so when he sees the, the 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 enemy he immediately claps and he wants the master he summons the army and they are all ready for the battle so what's the only way you can get into the court or into the fort you know you can talk about all the design and everything and of the acoustics and you okay let us come with the strategy let us break this wall this and that and this and a smart minister will say you know what you don't have to do all that just bribe the servant you don't have to do all that just bribe the servant and that fellow will just give you access inside that's exactly what had happened to israel Balaam wanted to curse Israel and every time he was standing on the mountain and only blessings are coming and you know what God says whom I have blessed no man can curse I do not see any iniquity in Jacob I see a wall of fire and I see a king in their midst everything and Balak says how am I going to overpower this kingdom how am I going to overpower this people you know Balaam says very simple bribe the servant you know they have passions Oh, these people are, are are crazy about food. They're crazy about about sexual immoral, immoral, immorality. So make your girls dance before them, and they'll fall. 
See? Therefore, what does obedience signify? That is what I actually captivated me. Obedience simply signifies incremental surrender either towards sin or toward God. Incremental surrender. It is just not one day, but incremental surrender. And I love that word, incremental surrender. You, because how many of you got saved on when you were 18 years old and surrendered the next day? Only one person I know from the entire Bible was Apostle Paul and I'm sure most of us are not Apostle Paul. We took a lot of time to surrender. Some of us... <laughs> We had to wait a real, real long generations even to get into the waters of baptism, isn't it? Truly, obey is incremental surrender. And therefore, Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 1 and verse 22. This is what Moses will say to his the children of Israel who are going to inherit the promised land. When the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it and clears away many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hevites and the Jebusites, all these ites, seven nations more numerous and more powerful. Isn't it true? The power of sin is so powerful. See, sin here is talking about a person. It is just not talking about about an act. It is just not lying. It is just not lusting or it is just not coveting. It is just not talking about an act. Acts can be overcome by just simple willpower. Did you know that? If you have any questions, ask my father. So he was, he really had willpower and I looked at him and I said, boy, this is incredible. He was, he was used to smoke for a lot of time and I could use this example. But one day he decided I'm not going to smoke. That's it. He used to have all kinds of pulling in his mouth and everything, but boy, he decided not to smoke, not to smoke. He had incredible willpower and he overcame. And one day his friend asked him, Manu, how did you do it? And he said, Thurupudirige dandambetu. <laughs> I will not forget because all those jokes, unfortunately, I cannot. Okay. He said, it's just sure willpower. He didn't know the Lord then. I'm sure he didn't know the Lord then, but at least to the best of my knowledge. It's just not talking about an act. He's talking about a power behind that act. You understand what I'm saying? Okay. So, Turupadirga Dhanamitu is basically turned to the east and Bow your head. Okay. It has got a linguistic connotation. You don't want to go into the details. Okay. So, verse 22, therefore he says, what he's going to say? He says, the Lord your God will clear away these nations before you. How? How? Little by little. You may not make an end of them at once. Lest the wild beast, that's the problem. The problem is, here is the wild beast will come. That's exactly what Jesus said, right? You know what? If I deliver somebody, one one demon will go, and the problem is seven demons more powerful than him will come. And therefore, the best way to deliver you is little by little, push away those lies and replace those lies with the truth of the word of God. Okay? Little by little, that is what obedience signifies. I'm interpolating with scripture so that we'll understand what it is, no? Therefore, let's, let's look at it. Sin, rain, mortal body, uh, rain, sin, mortal body, passions obey. Then, in order to empower obedience, you need some, what? Instruments. What do instruments talk about? The word in the in the original Greek, I'm not a Greek scholar, I just have to take the concordance and there is a website called blueletterbible.org. Okay, www.blueletterbible.org. You go click on Greek, it will give you the entire list from Genesis to ex, into Revelation where all that word occurs. I'm not a Greek scholar, I thank God for blueletterbible.org. Okay, so just, and you can also, if you have, donate for the site. They need some money. So, obey. There are instruments that God uses. 
And the word instruments is used only six times in the entire New Testament and every time it is translated as instrument is everybody read that? Instrument implies weapons. So where should the weapons be so that we can incrementally obey God is a question. You got it, everybody? Where should the weapons be ingrained so that we can incrementally obey God? Now, he says, um, excuse me, if, I, if you just go back to the previous verse, he says, present the members of your body, obviously implying your hands, your eyes, your lips, your tongue, your ears, and every part of your body. Every part of your body as instruments. Now, where is the most powerful instrument? If you have seen the movie Sarkar, Bollywood lovers, who are all hiding, I have seen it. Okay, They want to kill Sarkar. How do I kill Sarkar? Sarkar ko marne ke liye, Sarkar ko nahi, par uski, soch ko marna chahiye. Oh, that's a powerful dialogue. Ram Gopal Verma is a very good thinker. Okay. Everything said and done. <laughs> you want to kill Sarkar? You want to kill his thought process. You want to kill his, his brain. Who was the brain behind Absalom? Absalom was just the act. It was a counselor. His name was Ahitophel. And if you want to kill Absalom, the best way to kill Absalom is to pray against the counsel of Ahitophel. If you destroy Ahitophel, you destroy Absalom. And therefore, you know what is the biggest weapon for your war is your mind. That is the reason why gospel according to Romans... It is gospel according to Romans because Romans 1 chapter, chapter 1 verse 16. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ for it is a power of God unto salvation who believes for therein is the righteousness of God being revealed from faith to faith. The instruments, especially the weapons, where are they? Especially here in your mind. And therefore, first, Second Corinthians chapter 10 verses 3 to 6, he says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy the strongholds, particularly thought patterns in your mind. How do I know that? The next very word, next verse will say, we destroy what? Arguments. Ah. Why should I do this? That is the fundamental question. Why? 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 Why should I do this? Why should I do this? Why should I do this? Right from childhood. Abigail is there. She's five and a half years old. Okay. And she teaches me lessons. Not from the Bible, but about life. Five and a half years old, one day she's asking her mother, Mama, why should I not marry an unbeliever? Did you get that everybody? Five and a half years old. Why should I not marry an unbeliever is an argument in a child. Don't take it lightly. My wife answered some, some glib way. She tried to circumvent the question. You know, this is this and this and this is, you know, she doesn't know Jesus. You don't know, blah, 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 blah. But why can't I marry him and convert him to Christ? The next thing I had to do to run to my pastor and ask him for counsel. <laughs> He's a wise man. He gave me a nice counsel, but I'm going to share that with you. That is only for me, okay? You can ask me later. The question is why? You have arguments right from childhood. 
The common thing that Emmanuel says, Papa, I'm going, we can't do this, why can't do this, we can't do this, but why? <laughs> Three and a half years. Our movie makers are thinkers, you see. We have question banks at home. They all want why. They don't ask question as to why they should obey. They ask question as to why we should not obey. Why should we not obey? Well, you know what? Baba, Adam gave thought patterns. For them, Eve gave thought patterns. And therefore he says, we destroy what? Arguments. Every lofty opinion. You have opinions, brother? You have arguments, brother? If your arguments do not match with the argument of scripture, doesn't matter how bright and intelligent and rational your argument is, it will not work in the kingdom of God. One thing I learned after I became a pastor. My wife asked me, why can't you do this way? Why can't you do this, this way? I said, baby, after I came to be into full-time ministry, one thing I learned, just obey, ask questions later. Ask questions later. We destroy arguments. Every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of Christ and take what captive? Every thought captive. Why? Because the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. The weapons are here, my dear brothers and sisters. It's here in your mind. It's the word of God. It's it's replacing. That is the reason why Paul will say, offer your temples, which is essentially your bodies as a living sacrifice and be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove that which is good, acceptable and perfect. You see, that's an incremental obedience. First you'll say the, the will of God is good, great, even if you don't like it. Then it'll say, yeah, it's acceptable. Then you'll say, Baba, this is perfect. This is perfect. You couldn't have, couldn't have been any better than this, Lord. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. Thank God for children. I have illustrations in my sermons. Okay. Otherwise you'll all fall asleep. We destroy (laughs) arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey. You see that? To obey Christ being ready to punish every disobedience When your obedience is complete. You see that? Obedience and obedience and obedience and obedience being reiterated over and over again. Why? Because we always have counter arguments as to why we should not do and why we should not obey the word of God. Okay. So how many did we finish? Five, right? Rain, sin, mortal body, passions, obey, instruments. Last two. The next thing I want to look at, either sin wants to reign, sin implies first yourself, self implies the devil. What did I say? (laughs) Sin implies yourself, self implies the devil. Because you know what he said? I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, five times. God said, out. You know where it started? It started in his mind. He didn't even speak it out. He was thinking in his mind and immediately God said, you're judged. Sin is a contender for the throne. Sin implies self. Self implies the devil. Ultimately in the last days there will be a set of people who are sold out to God who are, or they are sold out to their own self. That is the reason why Paul, Timothy was, Paul tells Timothy in the last days people will be lovers of pleasure than lovers of God. They will not endure sound doctrine. They will, you know, employ for themselves teachers who will itching ears, right? They will tittle them. What does it mean? They will flatter you. Great man. Great, great, great. 
Great. Always great. Sin is a contender for the throne. Otherwise, who else? God. Right? It's simple, no? Either sin, that is self, or the devil, or God. But if God has to be on the throne, there is a constitution that he writes. And he says, you know what? My constitution is not under law, but under grace. So we looked at seven things. Reign, a throne being contested, sin, a contender, a challenger for the throne, mortal body is the castle under contention. Ultimately, he desires to possess your body. You see, Holy Spirit will never possess your body. He will only ask you to surrender your body. Satan wants to possess your body. Passions and desires could be your servants, either servants to sin or servants to obedience. Obedience is incremental instruments or weapons and God is the true king. But thankfully, in order for him to be establish his government in his life, he gives us something called as what? Not law, but grace. What is the song that we sang? The last song? Everybody remember? Peter, what is the song that we sang in the last song? Into your presence we come, not by the works we have done, but by your grace alone. Where do we stand? We stand before. Ah, we stand before your throne. And what are we saying? We are singing holy. We stand before a throne so that his government may be established in our lives. See, that is the reason why law came through Moses and killed 599998 people. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. You know what? The book of Romans and the book of Hebrews, if I'm right, book of Hebrews will say, Jesus, symbolized by Jehoshua, took the people into the promised land and they experienced abundant life. That is what it means. That God, through Jesus, will give you grace to overcome your sin. You know, I've as I said, I've been teaching the book of Romans and Romans chapter 5 is studied in our church in many, many contexts. In this context, I want to look at Romans chapter 5, a few verses to understand how we can appropriate this into our lives and establish the government of God in our lives progressively, incrementally. Romans chapter 5, verse 9, nine first. <clears throat> Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. What did I underline? Everybody, read it out loudly. Loudly, I can't hear you. Thank you. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more, everybody say that, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. That is verse 10. Verse 15. By the free gift is not the, is not like the, but the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by grace, by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. Verse 15. Verse 17. For if because of one man's trespass, death, what? Reigned. The wages of sin is death. If sin is reigning in your heart, death is reigning in your heart, in other words. Through one man, Everybody, much more will those who receive the abundance of the grace and the free gift of righteousness. What is that? Reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. The last verse, verse 20. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but when where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. What does it tell me? What does it tell me? Just one lesson which I wanted to teach you. Two lessons, two applications and we will stop. We can go on and on, okay? 225 sermons, John Piper preached, I'm just preaching you one sermon. Okay, look at what he says. This is what I I learned. Everybody read this title. God is a God of much more. I love that. 
Since therefore we have been justified by his what? Blood. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Let me tell you one, one thing. The sin that you can overcome is the sin that has been forgiven. Say that again, everybody. The sin that you can overcome is the sin that has been confessed and forgiven. If you have not confessed and forgiven, I mean confessed your sin, God will not empower you to overcome that sin. The only sins that you can overcome are the sins that have been forgiven, not anything else. Did you get that? Everybody? Let me, let me illustrate this. This is distinguishing between law and grace. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 13 to 14. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of the defiled persons, defiled, uh, and the sprinkling of the defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, which is essentially the external, the old covenant was only concerned with the external. You know what God says? The next verse. Read that. How? Much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. The only sin that you can overcome is a conscience which will not condemn. That sin which your conscience will not condemn. And therefore you know what you need? You need the blood of Jesus Christ to confess, to take away the shame and the guilt of your sin. And therefore it says in First Peter, First, First John, if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. The blood of Jesus will cleanse you from all unrighteousness and give you a clear conscience with God and with man. How many of us want a clear conscience today? You know God, he always wants to Cover us. What does he want to do? Cover us. He always wants to cover our guilt and our shame. Every time, first of very first time Adam sinned, he was hiding and he was, he was clothed in leaves. He's hiding. Shame. You know what God did? He covered him. It's interesting. The word much more for very first time it appears in the New Testament. You know what in context it, in what context it appears? The very first time it appears in the New Testament, the word much more in what context it will stun you. It will stun you. Look at it. It's, it says in, this is Matthew Gospel chapter 6 verse 13. But if God what? So clothes the grass of the field which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven. Will he not what? Much more clothe you. In other words, he will, the moment you confess your sin, he will say, I clothe you with my righteousness so you don't have to have the guilt and the shame of your past. And it's interesting. The very time, the very first time the word much more is used is used in the context of what? You know, using the context of clothes. He's using the context of, I always imagine, no? I have a teenage daughter. And I'm a father. She comes out of the dressing room. How do you like this, Papa? You know what I say as a father? Much more, please. why do I say that? You know why do I say that? People are openly flaunting their shame without feeling shame. Without even blushing. He has to clothe you first. That's what the blood of Jesus does for us and that's what Peter was praying. You said it is finished, Lord. It's paid for. All guilt, all shame. You don't have to feel your shame for your sin, for your past. Even if it is as recent as yesterday or even to this morning, through this day. How many of you don't need the blood of Jesus to cleanse you? Oh, Baba, I came, come back. How many times it has not defiled us? 
in our workplace needs to clothe us much more. And then verse 17. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned that through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through that one man, Jesus Christ. Do you see that? What does it tell me? The grace of God not only covers our sin from the past, you know what it also does? It empowers us to overcome the sin in our present. I love that word rain. Titus chapter 2 verses 11 and 12. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us. What is it doing? You know what you've been, what is being done now? It is, it is, you're just going through intense training to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. You see that? Passions? The word passions? Ungodliness and worldly passions to live self-controlled. Boy, I love that word self-control. Second Timothy chapter 1 verse 7 will say, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of self-control. In Telugu it is even more beautiful. Indriya nigrahamugala atma. Wow. Nigrahamu, control. Indriyam over the members of your body. Gave us the power to control ourselves and our passions so that we can use our passions for the glory of God and not for our own self. Both. Both. The question therefore, how do we allow God to reign in our lives? How do we allow God to reign in our lives if grace is so freely available to each one of us. Let me tell you one thing. It is possible to overcome sin in our lives and it is possible to stand before God blameless and upright and with all holiness. It is possible. The question therefore is, do you want it with all of your heart or no? That is the question. Where is your inclination? How do we overcome that will be part two. <laughs> okay. Today I just want to recap seven things. Or eight things. First, there's a throne being contended for. Second, sin is contending for that throne. Who's contending? Sin is contending for that throne. Third, let's go back to that slide. No, I just want to see that carefully. There is a temple and a castle, which is your mortal, mortal body. And you have servants inside those temples called your passions, which are powerful, especially when you're young. They're very powerful. You know, one of my professors in university said, if you cannot get angry when you're young, you will never get angry when you're old. And he was talking about injustice in society. I thought it was a remarkable, powerful statement. You know what? When you're angry in your young days, you can do something about it. When you're angry in the olden days, you can't do anything about it, even if you're angry. In other words, your anger when you're young, you can do something about it by surrendering that energy to God. Because God himself says, be angry and do not sin. In other words, anger is good. Direct your anger towards Satan, towards sin. Towards your own passions and not at people. And when you're old, even if you're angry, you can't do anything about it because you don't have energy. Passions and desires, let them be servants. Let obedience be incremental. God has given us instruments or weapons which are essentially here. God is a true king and he has given us grace to overcome. But how do we do that? How do we do that? Is part two. But one thing. Do you know that there is a battle in your heart? Or do you recognize it? There is always a battle. Every day in the morning you have a battle. Whether to surrender the time to God. Or to your own. The first thought in your mind when you get up is. Is it Facebook? <laughs> or the holy book? 
Or is it Gmail? Or any other mail, I don't know. First thought. First thing. I mean, how do we overcome this? We'll be part two. We'll do it next Wednesday. Alright? Shall we pray though? Father, we thank you. Father, we presented the problem, but I believe, and most of us have to be convinced and convicted about the problem that we have in our hearts. Father, there's so many arguments in our minds which tell us that we should not obey. But I pray, Father, that you'd give us the grace to demolish those arguments and change those arguments into weapons which will cause us to obey. Give us grace and teach us your ways and show us your paths. In Jesus' name, Amen.